Brothers and sisters, I'd ask that you turn with me in your Bibles to our text this morning, which comes from the book of Revelation. We'll be looking at chapter 22 and verses 6 to 9 this morning. Revelation chapter 22 and verses 6 to 9. Revelation chapter 22, verses 6 to 9. Please then hear with me the reading of God's Word. And He said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent His angel to show His servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Thus far as a reading of God's Word. What we have here at the end of the book of Revelation, in these uh, final verses, verses 6 to 21, is, is what we might call an epilogue. Okay, an epilogue uh, wraps up what has been said. It, it brings it to a closure. Uh, this is in distinction to a prologue. And a prologue, on the other hand, is, a, is an introductory section that sets the stage for what's to follow. Uh, the prologue for the book of Revelation would be the, the first chapter, really. And so now here in the, in the epilogue, what we see that it does is it, it reinforces or it makes clear right, what was introduced to us in that first chapter and, and what was fleshed out in, in all of the chapters thereafter. And so in this epilogue, what we're going to see in these final verses is a lot of repetition going on from things that were already said because the whole point it is again to, to drive home the, the major themes or the major purposes of the book of Revelation. And likewise, what we will also then see is, is many exhortations right, to God's people in light of all that He has told us in this book. It's this then that comes on the heels of what? The, the previous vision that we looked at last week. That vision from 22.1 all the way to, to 22 verse 5. And it's important that, that this exhortation that we read today comes on the heels of that vision. Why? Because now this exhortation is meant to elicit a faithful response of God's people, right, in light of this vision. Because he understands the the persecution and the suffering that they are going through at the hands of the Roman authorities and others. And so he, he gives us this exhortation so that we might persevere in faith until the end, being encouraged by our Lord. It's this very vision that we just finished with last week that that likewise ought to elicit a, a faithful response from, from God's people living in every age, shouldn't it? As the things that the saints were dealing with in the first century are, are things that are, same, that are still true today. There's things that believers still throughout history and today still must suffer with and still must deal with. And so we too right, need to heed the exhortation and and turn around with a, a faithful response to our Lord and persevering, persevering until the end. Because what do we read in verses 2 and 3? 
excuse me, in chapter 2 and 3. Right? In chapter 2 and 3, what was happening? You had false teaching entering the church. And Christ comes and He warns the church, doesn't He? That we are to expel those false teachers so that we might not experience the repercussions. I mean, how true is that even today? There are many false teachers who stand up in the pulpit and who spew false teaching to those who sit in the pews. And so this is a something that we deal with ourselves today that, that we need to be reminded of. Right? That we are not to allow false teachers to enter in. That we are not to allow false doctrine to be taught, but rather we are to likewise expel it as it comes about and springs up within our own congregations. The churches likewise in the book of Revelation are encouraged by Christ to be faithful until the end. And they needed that encouragement. Why? Because of of the temptation to compromise that was all around them. Is that something that we still need today, brothers and sisters? Yeah, we need to be encouraged to not compromise because doesn't it seem like temptation is all around us? And always trying to to pull on our heartstrings to to cause us to, to compromise our faith? Remember in chapters 12 to 14, what happens there? We learned about how the devil and the beast and the false prophet make war on God's people. Right? A war that not only was a reality in the first century, but a, a war that is a reality even today. As Satan is a defeated foe, yet still, right, he attacks and he assails God's people. And so this is why God then gives us these final words in this final chapter before He brings the canon to a close. It is to give His people confidence to, to persevere until the end. Knowing that Christ has revealed to us the end. Right? He has revealed to us all what must, what must take place. And He is calling us right, to trust fully and completely in what He has told us. Right? That we are to, to trust fully and completely in the fact that, that the, our enemies will one day be destroyed. Ultimately and finally and totally. Right? We are to, to trust and believe that there is a day coming in which the church shall be victorious and triumphant where we will reign with Christ in glory. Right? We are to trust and believe and live in light of the reality that God has promised His people a new heavens and a new earth where we will behold the face of Christ who is our great reward. And this is exactly the same encouragement what we see Starting here in verse 6. Right in verse 6 we read, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Now this brings us right back to the very first chapter and the very first verse of that chapter. If you remember Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, what did we read there? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show His servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending His angel to His servant John. And so here we see what I've been talking about. that The the epilogue is meant to now reinforce the main purposes of the book. It is meant to be a blessing to God's people as we await those things that must soon take place. And we see that accomplished, that encouragement accomplished in really three ways in these four verses. And it's those three ways that will comprise our three main points this morning. And so our first point will be this. The angel reminds us 
who these words are from. The angel reminds us who these words are from. Our second point is, the angel reminds us why we must obey these words. The angel reminds us why we must obey these words. And thirdly, the angel reminds us who we alone must worship. The angel reminds us who we alone must worship. So point number one, the angel reminds us who these words are from. A bedrock of the Christian faith is the doctrine of special revelation. Right? The doctrine of special revelation. Right, speaks of that supernatural revelation that comes directly from God to His prophets and to His apostles who are inspired to write those words that we now have contained within the Bible. Right, the Holy Scriptures, those 66 books. Now this is different from, from general revelation or, or natural revelation as it is likewise called. Right, because by general lev- revelation or by nature, we know that God exists. Right? We know that there is a God. For we can look out into the world and it, it speaks to the fact that God exists. Right? We know that God is wise by nature. Just by looking at all that He has created. Right? We know that God is powerful by nature or by His general revelation. For who could create all that exists but He who is powerful? And yet there are things that nature does not tell us that we cannot know apart from some other revelation. And that revelation is God's special revelation. Right? It is through special revelation that we learn that God is one in being, three in person. Right? It is through God's special revelation that we learn that we are sinners, right? deserving of, of death and condemnation, but the only way of escape comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. And through His death and His shedding of blood for our sin. Those are things that we could never know by nature. Right? Nature doesn't reveal those things to us. We needed someone to come, someone to condescend, someone to tell us these things. And that is what we have then in, in special revelation. Right? God speaking to His people, giving us these truths that we would not know apart from His gracious Word. And it's the Scriptures themselves, brothers and sisters, that, that bear testimony to this. That, that this Bible that we have, it is the Word of God. It is God who spoke to man. We see this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The apostles themselves acknowledge this very fact. Peter does so in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. He says this, knowing first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And nowadays, this belief is oftentimes assailed, isn't it, by not only unbelievers, but even by People who would claim to be believers themselves. Right? They would say, well, the, the, the Bible is a human document written by, by, by men, not God. Men are fallible. Men can make mistakes. But I, I think the reason for this, or one of the reasons for this, is especially those who would hold this position but 
profess to be Christians, one of the reasons that they hold that position is this, so that they can pick and choose what it is they want to believe in and follow and what they want to reject and don't want to follow. Right? They want a, an, an easy Christian life, not a hard Christian life. Right? They, they want to be able to pick and be able to choose. But we need to see, brothers and sisters, how, how dangerous, how disastrous a position like this is and how it is the duty of the church to, to make sure that, that that does not enter into the walls of the church. Because we need to understand when, as soon as we begin to set ourselves up as a, as the highest authority, as soon as we begin to establish ourselves as the final arbiter of what is true and not true in scripture, what we do is we deify ourselves. We, we dethrone God. We, call into question His faithfulness and His truthfulness and we undo the very foundation for everything that we know and believe. If man wrote this Bible by the will of man, then then why should we have confidence in any part of it at all? We need to understand that the first century believers who are living and who are suffering don't believe that. Right? They believed that this is the, the, the living and abiding Word of God. Right? They knew that it wasn't just the words of men being preached to them, but rather it was the words of God. That is what moved them to faithfulness. Right? Recognizing that this wasn't just man speaking to them, it was God speaking to them. I mean, just imagine though, if these first century Christians who are dealing with such horrendous torture and punishments believe like many liberal Christians do today. I mean, think about what kind of comfort during that time of, of persecution would they have been able to derive out of it? How would they have been able to, 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 to get any encouragement from these visions that we have if all they believed that this was was the words of men? None. Right? None. Because what trust can we put into the words of men? Right? We can't trust the words of men. How would they know that what John says is true in these visions would actually come to pass? They couldn't know those things. But let us see that this is why it is so important, brothers and sisters, to believe wholeheartedly in the authority of God's Word as God's Word. And why this is central to the Christian faith. And yet, let us also see this, that that this is a God-given ability. Right? This is a God-given ability that one can only come to through the regeneration of the heart. Why is that? Well, because a natural man cannot understand the things of God. Right? They cannot love God's Word and receive God's Word as such. Right? They cannot count God's Word sweeter than honey unless the Holy Spirit lives inside of them and gives to them the, the ability to see that and to understand it and to receive it as such. And this is what the Apostle Paul understood. This is why he he praises God in his letter to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, this is what Paul says. And we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a word of, from men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. And so we see that it's the, the Spirit of God 
who testified to them that this was the Word of God and they received it as such on the basis of no other authority than God Himself who is its author. And because that, they could, they could cherish this Word. And we ought to cherish this Word, receiving it as such, as the Holy Spirit bears witness to us that this is God's Word. Recognizing that God's Word guides the believer. The Word of God leads the believer. The Word of God makes wise the believer. It makes bold the believer. It, it instills confidence in the believer. It makes bold the believer. It enables us to, to live by faith in God and, and to depend on Him for all that we need. And that goes, brothers and sisters, for every word contained in the Scriptures. For the Word of God is also inerrant. And not only is it authoritative because it's God's Word, it's inerrant then because it's God's Word. Right? That means that it is without error. Right? There is no mistake, there is no lies within the Word of God. Because God wrote it and God cannot lie. Yes, men wrote it. But we need to understand that they were so acted upon by the Holy Spirit that the words that they wrote were kept free from all error so that we can know that what we have is, is truly divine. Again, this is why Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 that, that all Scripture is God-breathed. What's the extent of the inspiration of Scripture? All of it. All of it. Right? The whole of His Word. And it is because of this that the angel can say to John then in our text today, these words are trustworthy and true. Because they are words that come from God. Right? Because the, the words that John is, is penning and recording are not the words of a man, but they are the words that God has spoken to man. And He is the God, the angel says, of the spirits of the prophets. Which means what? Right? He is the one who even inspired their writings. Right? He so moved upon them and acted upon them that they wrote under the divine inspiration of God as well. And it is this one who sends the angel to John to reveal these things. It's on this basis alone then we need to see that, that John, while banished to the island of Patmos, could continue to pursue the Christian life knowing Right, what lies ahead both for him and for all of God's people? Right, because he, he believed this to be the inspired Word of God. It is this, on the basis of this that the, the saints in the seven churches and the, the saints in Asia Minor in total right, could continue to, to persevere in their Christian faith, whether that meant imprisonment or death, because they knew that these words revealed to them in this vision wasn't just the Word of men, but rather it was the, the Word of God. And so they knew that it would come to pass. They, they know that God's promises cannot fail. Right? That God cannot lie, that He will not go back on anything that He has said. It is on that basis alone that they could live then confidently in the Christian life and not compromise when tempted to. Right? Because God has revealed to them all that was happening. He revealed to them why it was happening. He reveals to them in His Word, in the book of Revelation, what we are to do while all these things are happening. And they believe God by faith. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, is, is this how we receive God's Word? Is this how we receive God's Word? And if you want to know if this is how I receive God's Word, all you have to do is 
ask ourselves, do I obey God's Word? Do I obey God's Word? How do I live my life? Do I live my life filled with, with fear and worry? Am I scared and uncertain and filled with doubt? And if that is how we live our lives, then you are essentially saying what? That the Bible isn't written by God, but by men. Right? It is a practical denial that the Bible is the Word of God. Because it's one thing to not trust the words of men. It's another thing to wake up every day in fear and uncertainty because you do not trust the words of God. Brothers and sisters, let us know the devil wants us to question God's Word. Right? The devil wants you to question God's Word. This is this very same thing that he suggested to our first parents, wasn't it? Did God really say? And even today, in churches all around the world, he is, he is suggesting that to the hearts of, the, of believers. He is asking you this very day, did, did God really say this? Right? Is this really God's Word? Does He really want you to trust in it all and believe it all and be obedient to, his, to it all? And when he suggests those things to our heart, brothers and sisters, our response ought to be yes. Yes. We must stand upon the Word of God. And we must stand upon every word that God has spoken. Right? We, just like the first century saints, must rely on the, the visions and that they accurately depict for us this age and the age to come. Or, or else how could we ever live in a world and glorify God and be blessed by Him? And if we didn't even believe His Word and thus follow it, we must live by faith in the testimony that God Himself has given to man. And it's because of that testimony that we can have confidence in our life. It is by that testimony that we know so many things that, that ought to inspire confidence in us. We know that God has revealed to us in His Word that He has now opened some seals and blown some trumpets, and poured out some bowls. And by it, those proper effects are occurring everywhere in the world today. We know that while the nations attempt to trod upon the holy city, or the church for 42 months, that God spiritually protects His church in the wilderness for 1260 days. Right? We know that by God's Word, and so we can be encouraged by that, and live confidently knowing those things. Right? We likewise know that there is also a time coming when the beast and the false prophet and the dragon and all their allies will be cast into the lake of fire. And at that time, brothers and sisters, we will experience ultimate and final deliverance in the new Jerusalem with our Lord. But I want us to see, do you, do you understand that God graciously tells us these things? Right? He graciously exposes our eyes to these things so that we might be encouraged. Right, so that we might derive comfort from it, that also though we might be invigorated for the Lord. There are so many things in the world today that get believers down. I mean, you talk to people today and people don't even watch the news anymore, do they? Because they say that the news is depressing. I want us to see, brothers and sisters, that God does not want His, His people to live that way. And so while everything else in this world is being broken down, while everything else in this world is decaying and disintegrating before our eyes, what is God doing? Right Through His Word, He is, he is building up His church. Right Through the spoken Word of God, he, he builds us up. He equips us so that we might live the sanctified life before Him now. 
Also, I want us to see this then. That these four verses that we read in our text today uh, follow this vision. And because of that, they can sometimes call into question the, the veracity of God's Word. And this is what I mean by that. That in verse 6 we are told, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Well, this comes on the heels of the vision of the new Jerusalem. And so people say, well, these must soon take place, and we can't believe this, because it's been 2,000 years now. But I want us to understand, brothers and sisters, that our our confidence in the Word are not to be dampened by this at all because we need to understand that these are words of prophecy. This is spoken, these are prophetic words of, of soon. Not to be taken in the, in the same sense in which we speak of soon. Uh, yes, the Lord uh, will return and establish uh, the new Jerusalem, right, the new heavens and the new earth soon. But that is relative to eternity. Right? He will establish these things soon. Because on the prophetic calendar, these are the next things up, aren't they? I mean, there is a sense even in which those things were occurring in the first century as well. Right? Remember that uh, the blessings and the benefits of the new Jerusalem likewise pour out onto the saints even now. Right, in part. And so in a sense, they, they did happen soon, even there, and they continue to happen. But remember ultimately that this was a question that, that Peter had to answer. Because this, the saints were being questioned even by unbelievers in their own day, weren't they? When was, when is Christ returning? I thought Christ is returning soon. And how did Peter respond to them? Right? Peter said, don't be deceived into thinking that the Lord is slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness. But to the Lord, a thousand years is like a day, and a, and a day like a thousand years. And so let us see, brothers and sisters, there, our confidence in the Scripture does not have to be uh, hit, you know, or take a hit at all. But rather, let us see that all these things will take place soon, but according to how God views soon, right? Not according to how, how man views soon. But until then, the angel reminds John and all of us what we must do. Look with me at verse 7, please. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. This takes us to our second point in this morning. The angel reminds us why we must obey. Well, first we see why we must obey. Because we are told that Christ is coming soon. We must obey because Christ is coming soon. Uh, remember, in those early chapters of the book of Revelation, as, as Jesus walks amongst the church and He speaks to them about their spiritual condition, He says this Himself. In chapter 2, verse 5, to the church in Ephesus, He says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place until, unless you repent. Right to the church in Pergamum in chapter 2, verse 16. After rebuking them for allowing immorality within the church, Jesus says this, 
Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and make war against them with the sword of my spirit. And so we need to see that, that in a sense, in some way, Jesus was saying that he could come soon amongst those present congregations and do something. And yet, what do we also read in the book of Revelation? Look at chapter 1, verse 7. There we are told, Behold, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced Him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. And so we see that, that in that text, there will be a final bodily coming of Christ when every eye will see Him. And yet, in another sense, Christ still comes today. There's a sense in which Christ still came during the first century. But we have to ask ourselves, how so? How does Christ still come? Well, He comes by blessing and judgment. Christ comes by blessing and judgment. We see that as He threatened the church in those two verses that we just looked at. So that in chapter 22, verse 7, this needs to be understood as an inaugurated, yet awaiting its consummation. That's the kind of coming that is being spoken about. An inaugurated coming that awaits its consummation. Right? That during the church age, that Christ still comes, not bodily, not physically, but in blessing and judgment, in word and spirit, and all these things prefigure His final coming. This is important to grasp then. As Jesus tells Him to obey, right? to obey the Word of God. Right? Because there is that day when Christ will come in which He will judge all people. And you do not want to be found wanting in obedience. You do not want to, Christ to return and say, depart from Me, you worker of lawlessness. And yet there is still, a, uh, there is still a, an obedience that needs to be had even, even now, even today. As He tells us, He comes in blessing and judgment upon His church and the world. Right? We see this, how He blesses His church, even in uh, chapter 3, verse 19. To the church in Laodicea, this is what he says. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. Well, what's the blessing he's offering here? It's not some future blessing only, but it's a a present blessing. He blesses that he will come in now and that he will be with his people. Right? Remember that great commission when He sends the apostles out to, to proclaim the Gospel, teaching them to, to observe all that I have commanded you. How does He end that? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we need to see that He, he presently now comes to us. Right? He has presently come to us this day as His Word is proclaimed. Right? He presently comes to us now as we in a little bit will participate in the Lord's Supper. And so, yes, brothers and sisters, we obey because a day is coming and when He, when he will return to judge all people. But we likewise are to obey. And it's important to obey now. For Christ says that He comes now and He is willing and able and wanting to bless His church right? as we obey His very commandments. I mean, this is why the book of Revelation was written. To bless This is what we read in the very opening verses of the first chapter. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written in it. 
Right? This is the very same blessing then we see in our text this morning. And so Jesus tells us to obey. Right? To obey because we have promised blessings for those who keep the words of the prophecy. And we can be sure that as those first century saints kept the words of the prophecy, that, that they were blessed. Right? As we read about the, the death of Antipas earlier in chapter 2, some time ago, we can be sure that as Antipas held fast to the faith and obeyed the commandments of God, that he was blessed even as he was being led to his death. That he was blessed in the sense that he had a, a full assurance of faith. A full assurance of his salvation. Right? That he was given a boldness and confidence as he, as he went to his death, as he was led to his death for being a faithful witness to Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, I want us to see that, that obedience means subjection to God. Right? Obedience means subjection to God. And this is something that those of us who have been brought to Christ by faith ought to desire to render, right? Cheerfully and willingly to God. Because he deserves it all. Right? An unconverted person cannot offer this type of obedience to God. Yet it does not remove their obligation to. But the Christian can live obediently towards God. And so each one of us here today must, must take time to, to look into the mirror of God's law because it, it reveals to you and I if we are. Right? It reveals to us if we are. There are some many some reasons and many reasons why uh, people do not obey and are not faithful to the commandments of God who would, who would profess themselves to be believers. Uh, perhaps one reason is because people don't take enough time to acquaint themselves with the wondrous character of our Lord. Right? If, you, if you thought more about who God was, right, it, would, it would incite obedience in the heart of the true believer. Right? Perhaps another reason is, is that we're not conscious enough about what Christ has come and did, and did for the believer. Right? If you knew all that Christ did and all that He suffered for your sake, don't you think that in the true believer it would, it would cause to arise within our hearts a, a greater desire to obey? There are many people out there also who, who might obey outwardly, but it's not a heartfelt willingness to obey. And so see, brothers and sisters, not only does God want our outward obedience, He likewise calls for our inward obedience as well. And so it's a rebuke to each one of us who do not render this type of service and obedience to our Lord. But at the same time, I want us to see this. That it likewise is an exhortation. It's an exhortation to those who, who although your obedience is imperfect, that you find delight in obeying God. Know that the Lord is pleased with an obedient heart. Know that God, because of Christ, who is the believer's righteousness, will overlook your deficiencies. But that doesn't lead to disobedient life, does it? It ought not to lead to careless living. Because just like a righteous child desires to obey and please his Father, you who have been covered in the righteousness of Christ, likewise, ought to desire to please and be obedient to your Father. And when we falter, and you will falter, brothers and sisters, remember this, that we look to the obedience of Christ. We look to the cross. We look to His perfect obedience because if you are Christ's, His obedience is ours. Also then, remember this, 
that we are to look to the obedience of Christ as, as an, an example to us as well as how we are to obey God. And how did Jesus obey His Father? Did He do it out of just sheer duty? No, He obeyed His Father out of a, a heart filled with love. And what does Jesus say to us? If you love Me, and you will keep My commandments. And so may we come before the Lord this day in prayer, right? seeking His face, asking Him for a greater love for Him, right? that we might be those who might more greatly obey our Lord. This leads us then to our third and our final point, which is the angel reminds us of who we alone must worship. Look with me at verses 8 and 9, please. There we read this, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Here I just want us really to see two things. First, we see that upon receiving and hearing the message, it causes John to worship. Right? John receives the message and it causes him to worship. Why? I think one of the reasons is out of humility. Right? John here has a, has a humble heart. Right? He has a humble heart before the Lord. He recognizes his own sinfulness. He recognizes that he is nobody that the Lord ought to reveal these things to, and yet he does. And so it drives John to his knees before the Lord with a humble heart. Likewise, I think John is driven to his knees to worship out of thankfulness. Right? He has thankfulness that God has shown this to him. He has thankfulness that God has led down his hand and has blessed us with such wonderful gifts, gifts more wonderful than silver and gold. But ultimately, I think that he falls down and he worships out of love. He worships out of love. Think about the, the rich young ruler. As he approached Jesus and he asked Jesus, how might he attain to eternal life? What does Jesus say to him? But he quotes from him the second table of the law. And he says to Jesus, I've done all these things, doesn't he? And so Jesus tells him, well, go sell everything that you have and come back and follow me. What was the rich young ruler's response to Jesus? What he should have done was he should have fell on his knees. Right? He should have, out of love, Right, worshipped his Savior that very day, but instead he, he turned his back on him and he walked away. Right, there, there was no love in that rich young ruler's heart for Jesus, but I want us to see that there is in John's. Right, love is what sets John's heart in motion to worship God. For Jesus and the Word of God is pleasing to the eyes and ears of, of, of John, and so it kindles with him more love for Christ. As we look to John's example, we must ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, does humility and thankfulness and love set our hearts in motion to worship God? If you lack these things, or if we don't desire this, it may be because we lack these things. Right? If you have a, a hard time getting up to come and worship God this day, perhaps it's because you lack humility, or you lack thankfulness, or you lack love for God. Right? These are all things that the true Christian will, will labor after to increase in their Christian life. 
The second then the final thing I want us to see is that who is the who does the angel tell John to worship? He tells him to worship God, which tells us what? That the only object for worship is God. Right? And God alone. It also, though, is a reminder of what? That we must know the one that we worship. Right? It, it tells us that we how important it is to know God. How important it is to behold God and His perfections with enlightened minds and eyes and hearts. But it is only then, when we behold our Savior through enlightened eyes, that we will exalt Him. And that we will embrace Him. And that we will esteem Him above everything else in this world. Acknowledging that the fullness of everything that we need is in Him. Likewise, when the angel says to John, worship God, what is he doing there? He's rebuking him. He's rebuking all forms of idolatry, whether that is false deities or men or angels or money or possessions. Brothers and sisters, if we are satisfied in and with God, then why look to the things in which Christ Himself will provide? Right? We, we are only to have eyes for our Lord. That is what the angel is calling us to in our text. Whatever this world offers, whether it be to our detriment or to our benefit, we are to come realizing that they those things in themselves have no power. Only God has power. Right? God is the one in control. All things come from God's hand. And so we ought to approach Him, trusting Him. Right? Knowing that everything happens, happens because of His sovereign decree. It is He who sways the hearts of men. It is He who holds back evil from His people. But it is also He who permits evil to be done to His people. And so knowing this, we ought to place all of our faith and our hope and our trust in our Lord. Committing all of our ways to Him. Looking to Him as our our rock and our refuge and our counselor. Knowing that if everyone else in this world turns our back to us, there is still one who hasn't. And that we can flee to Him by faith. Believing in His Word. Knowing that the Word of God is, is His Word. Spoken to man. And in it, He calls us to obey. But not just any sort of obedience. A heartfelt heartfelt obedience. And a heartfelt obedience is one that will always cause God's people to worship God and to worship God alone. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We thank You, Lord, that You have inspired even greater confidence in Your Word as we recognize and realize that, that these words are not the words of men, but they are the very words of God. We ask, Lord, that You would encourage our hearts by this truth this very day. We ask, Lord, that as we recognize that this is the Word of God, that You would help us then, Lord, to, to be obedient to this Word, knowing that it is not the Word of men, but the Word of our King who commands these things and exhorts us to to faithful obedience. And so, Lord, we pray for Your help. We pray, Lord, that You likewise would overlook our failings and our falterings for the sake of Christ. And finally, Lord, we ask that You would help us to, to be people then who, who are drawn to our knees in prayer and in worship and in thanksgiving and in praise that, Lord, we would be those who render to You all that You are worthy of. And we ask these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.